0: All right. Thank you so much uh, for having us in here, Pastor. We have had a great time. I love that song by Ron Hamilton. I am not related to Ron Hamilton, but I am related to Evan Hamilton. So if you want a little bit more about me, don't ask him, okay? He doesn't know what he's talking about most of the time. <clears throat> so now, thank you also, Donald, uh, Donald and your wife. I appreciate your ministry, Uh, Just seeing how God has used you, a couple thoughts came to my mind as you were preaching. We all say all the time, the church is not the building. The church is not the building, and it's not. It's the people of Jesus Christ gathered together. But let me tell you, it is a whole lot nicer when you have a building. (laughs) It is a lot easier, and it is a big blessing to see how God has provided. And then also I was thinking... Uh, Just about our wives, uh, what they have gone through, uh, having church in their house, um, having the instability of times of not knowing uh, where you're going to live, or uh, where your church is going to meet on a Sunday, if it's going to be canceled because it's raining, or who's going to show up. Uh, You start holding church services in your house, you have no idea who is going to come through that door, and we have had some strange people come through our door. Uh, but God, God, I just, God has given us good wives, brother, and I just thank you so much to, to Andrea, to your wife, for sticking with us through those hard times when it's been easier to quit than to go on, uh, quite honestly. And we're thankful the Lord has brought us to the point we are right now, and thank you for the ministry. I, I used to uh, go out to Cape Cod every summer, a couple times every summer, uh, because my grandparents lived out in Sandwich. And it was always hard when we went out there on a weekend to find a good church to go to. So now I'm glad you're out there uh, planting and we can, can visit when we come see you. So thank you uh, so much. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you guys a question uh, today. Uh, how many of you have been to New York City? Just been visiting? Okay, yeah. Well, good amount of you. Excellent. Very good. I grew up in western Massachusetts, and I never visited that place when I was growing up. My dad... Um, uh, grew up in the 60s, uh, had spent a little bit of time in New York City, and his impression of New York City is, it's dangerous, it's wicked, don't ever go there. Uh, and actually, that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Uh, not that I was really searching for a wicked place to go to, but it made me feel like, hey, maybe there's some lost people there who, who need the Lord. And uh, God I probably used that a little bit in getting me there. Now, now, you've been to New York City, but how many of you have actually been to the Bronx? And, and stopped, didn't just drive through on 95. How many of you actually stopped in the Bronx? Okay, very good. What's your impression of it? Just, just tell me, what do you think? You like it? I'm glad I'm in Vermont. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're glad you're in Vermont. It's really not a great place to live. Uh, I live there, and I told somebody else, my kids would probably rather live here in Vermont or anywhere else in the world, um, it's not really a kid-friendly area just because you don't have, like, a big yard, and if you want to go outside and play, you got to go to a park or play in the streets, and eh, it's not always a great idea, uh, but, uh, it's the place God called me to, and it's, it's home for me, and I love it there because this is where the Lord has us at, and, uh, though my kids and I would probably rather live in remote Alaska, uh, this, this is where God has called us to, and God has called us to people, and God has called us to souls. And, and so that's why we're not there to make you feel sorry for us. Uh, we have seen amazing blessing. I, I, um, if you don't ever attempt anything for the Lord, you won't really ever see God do very much. And, uh, and unless God puts you into a place of great need at times you won't get to experience his great provision. And so uh, we're thankful for what God has has done for us uh, there. Uh, So the first time I went to New York City was 2005. I went on a mission trip uh, during college to share the gospel for eight weeks in in New York City. We were sharing the gospel primarily with Jewish people, but then also with anybody else we could meet along the way. And uh, that's when God really burdened me for the city, uh, started calling me there to the city. And uh, that was in in 2000, 2005, which was actually not very many years after nine eleven two thousand one. 2001, okay? And the terrorist attacks there. And when we were in the city there, people were a little bit on edge still, and they were always kind of looking over their shoulder to see what was going on. Uh, and if somebody got onto a, a subway, and they had a big backpack, and they, you know... Acting weird or nervous, everybody sort of you know stayed a little way further away from that person and there were there were signs everywhere in the bus stop in the in the trains uh, on the street in the billboards, and the billboards said, "If you see something, say something exactly you see something, say something uh, so this morning this evening rather uh, we don 't have an evening uh, Sunday evening service or a Saturday evening service I always say morning uh, so This evening, I want to preach a message entitled, If You See Something, Say Something. Uh, Because if you have seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and what I mean by that, if you come to realize that Jesus of the Bible is God, that He died on the cross for your sins, and that you are a sinner, and that you cannot earn your way to heaven, but only through the blood of Jesus Christ uh, and belief in that blood of Jesus Christ are saved, then you've seen something, and you have a responsibility, therefore, to say something, to tell other people about that. Uh, I'm just talking about evangelism tonight. Our responsibility, because we have been saved, to tell other people about it. In order to, to illustrate this, I think probably my favorite passage to illustrate that is found in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. And chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. And we're gonna start start out this morning looking at a problem. Or this evening. See, I told you I was gonna do that. This evening at a problem uh, which the city of Samaria was facing. Now, oftentimes we think of Samaria, we think of the New Testament idea of Samaria as being a region through which Jesus would pass from, from Galilee to Judea, and where he stopped and met the woman at the well and told her of living water, and that was a whole region in the land of Canaan. Uh, But back in these days, Samaria was actually a city. It was the capital city of the northern ten tribes of Israel. And uh, the northern ten tribes of Israel were in trouble because there was a problem of starvation going on. Verse 24. It says, it came to pass after this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It says, it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. You know what a siege is? A besiegel is... A, um, it's when the army comes and they surround your city and make sure that nobody comes in and nobody goes out. Uh, and they just camp around the outside of that city for the purpose of starving the inhabitants of the city to submission or to a point of weakness where the army can come in without any resistance, where the walls and the defenses crumble, basically, before them. And so, uh, this king of Syria comes down, he gathers all his host. he, he besieges Samaria, and verse 25 says there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Okay, now eggs are expensive, right? Okay? We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, there was big problems in Samaria. They were surrounded by this enemy, and the economy inside the city was in shambles. Uh, there was Everything was expensive, really expensive. You wonder, well, what, what did they just say they were eating? Yes, that's what they were eating. And it's gross. They were paying lots and lots of money for things that we don't eat, okay? We don't eat that stuff, but it was, it was all that was left. It was a really tough time. Uh, they, were, they were facing starvation, inside this city. They needed food. You get the idea that this city was really on the brink of destruction. There was very little hope left at this point that this city could survive. They were holding out, but how much longer could they hold out for? That's the obvious problem. That's that's actually the surface problem. We look at that and we say, there is a physical problem. The people are starving to death. But really, there is a much deeper problem facing us. and this is, this is true in our world, too. We look around and we look at the problems of American economy. We look at the problems that we are facing as a society. And yet, the problems are not what we are seeing because we go to the grocery store and pay a lot of money. Uh, the problems that we have in our society are not based on a lack of good education. The problems in our society come from sin. And there is a huge sin problem in the, the city of Samaria. Samaria is a kingdom, is the capital of a kingdom, which has really rebelled from God from its beginning. Uh, they have left uh, the Davidic line, which, okay, you do that, that's fine. But you know what they also have done? They also done left worshiping God in his temple in Jerusalem. And it had gone from there to the point where they had built alternative gods in the north and the south, uh, beasts, uh, burden, uh, they had built bulls and, and, and calves which people worshipped, they They'd adopted uh, the, the gods of the nations around them, and they had a, a form of worship in name to God, but really they had become idolaters, they had become uh, people who had not followed the true God, and, and God was really bringing them to judgment. If we would go over in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. God had said these kinds of things would happen. Uh, God had said, if you leave me, uh, this is what will happen to your city. This is not uh, a surprise. Verse 45 says, moreover, Deuteronomy 28, moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and statutes which he commanded thee. And they shall be upon thee for a sign, and for a wonder upon thy seed forever. In other words, if these things start happening, wake up! There's a problem. There's a problem with my people. Verse... 47, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, you forget where the source of all your blessings are, therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in a want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck, until he have destroyed thee. And the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the ends of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor for favor unto the young, and he shall eat the Eat fruit of the cattle and the fruit of the land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave either corn or wine or oil or increase of thy kind or flocks of thy sheep until they have destroyed thee, and shall besiege thee in all thy gates unto thy high fenced walls come down wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land which the Lord thy God hath given thee and thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord hath given thee in the siege and in the straitness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. That's exactly what is going on here. The people have forgotten their God. And because of that, God says, you don't want me, okay, I won't help you. You don't want my help, you don't want to give me any credit for for building the land of Israel, for blessing the land of Israel. I'll just step back and act like I'm not here because you're treating me like I'm not here. And so this is the natural progression of sin. Uh, There's a departure from God that leads to depths of depravity. Uh, Israel's walk away from God was, was somewhat small and But it kept on getting worse and worse and worse until they were doing things they thought that they could never, ever do. The people of God in this passage go so far as to cannibalize their own children. Wow. Can you think about that? That is some dark stuff. That is some gross stuff. We'll read the passage here. It says, the king of Israel is passing upon the wall, back in Second Kings. And there cried a woman the saying, help my lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, where should I help thee? Sort of a sarcastic, carefree, careless answer. Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said to her, what aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said, give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto The next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. It came to pass, when the king heard the words of this woman, that he rent his clothes and passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Okay. Why do I read that portion of Scripture? Why do I even mention that? Because it's there, and it's there to shock us. It is there to shake us. And say, how could a people which called themselves the people of God do this? Small steps, here and there, a little, until it gets to this. Until even in the city of Samaria, these things are coming. The depths, the worst depths of depravity, and then we see that it's 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 a nation which is. It's got a sin problem because of the declaration of the king. What, is, what does he say about this? And it came to pass when the word, king heard these words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed upon the wall. And the people looked, and, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. And he said, God, do so, and more also to me at the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. So who's who's this Elisha guy? Okay, Elisha's the prophet of God. He has been proven to be Elijah's successor. God has actually used Elisha already to deliver this same king from the hand of the Syrians on multiple occasions. It's obvious that God is working through King Elisha, uh, through through the prophet Elisha. And the first time things get really bad and... and, and, uh, the king is confused. He is angry. What does he want to do? He wants to kill God's guy. So this is God's fault. I can't strike a direct blow against God, so I'm just going to kill God's guy. I'm going to kill Elisha. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to go cut his head off right now. Uh, that's really not a godly response or even a very smart response. Okay, uh, He's going to go, go kill this guy. So Elisha, being the prophet of God, knows from God that this king wants to do that. Verse 32: Elijah sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. The king sent a man from before him. But ere or before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head. Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast to the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down to him. And he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, "Hear ye the word of the Lord." Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord: Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, "Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven." might this thing be? he said, behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. So we know this place is a a place of sin, uh, that they have a starvation problem. That's obvious. They also have a sin problem because they've departed from God, because they've sunk to the depths of depravity, and because uh, this king has declared the execution of God's man, but really the biggest indicator of the situation, I think, in the city of Samaria is this counselor of the king's response to the word of God. God says to him, in 24 hours, the staples, the, 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 the stuff that you really need good food is going to be sold for really, really cheap, basically. You're buying dove's dung and camel's head for lots and lots of money just to survive. But in 24 hours, God says, you're going to have so much food that it's going to be cheap. You're not going to be able to afford it. And this counselor who hears the word of God from the mouth of Elisha says, ha, 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 ha. yeah, right. Come on. You expect me to believe that? You expect me to believe that that's going to happen? Even if God were to open up windows and send, we could say basically manna down like he did in the wilderness, those things cannot sell At those prices, it's impossible. He doesn't believe the word of God. He doesn't believe in God's power to deliver. He doesn't believe in God's ability to save. He doesn't believe in God's grace. And this is something, by the way, that this city of Samaria did not deserve. They did not deserve this deliverance in any way. They deserved exactly what they were going through. But God, because he is good and because he is gracious, decides to give them this opportunity, decides to save them, decides to give them this deliverance from the Syrians at this time. So there's a problem in the city. The word of God isn't believed. People have turned away from him. They've jumped in with both feet to sin, and it's led them to a road, to a place that no one ever thought they could get to but there is also a provision. Uh, and God has promised it already, and we're going to look this morning at how, this evening, on how God provides. First of all, He provides through an unlikely group of people. He is going to provide salvation to this city through an unlikely group of people. Verse 3 of chapter 7 says, And there were four leprous men, at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Now these guys don 't have to be geniuses they 're not brain surgeons okay uh, they 're simple men. I, I sometimes call them the Four Stooges. They have this this, this conversation outside the city, and they, they come to some really basic conclusions uh, they 're leprous. nobody really wants them inside the city they 're not allowed inside of the city because they 're full of disease, and the last thing you want to add to a famine is disease and uh, they're supposed to stay outside, separate, and they're charity cases. Uh, if they're going to get food, it's going to be because the people inside of the city give them food. Um, I think it's probably been a while since they've had a meal. I don't think they're going to be getting any food anytime soon, and they realize that they're not going to be getting any food anytime soon. And so they come to a basic conclusion. They say, what we're doing is not working. It's not going to work for very long. And really, these these men, these leprous men are not great pictures of faith at all. Uh, They don't make their decision to go into the camp of the Syrians because they think that God will deliver them. Uh, They don't do it based upon the promise of God because they don't have the promise of God. So far as we know, they have no idea about it. But they are kind of a good picture of repentance, of realizing that we're heading down a path toward destruction, and unless there's some changes made, it's not going to end well for them. And and, and it is this group of people who comes to the conclusion that their way is not working uh, that God is going to use? He's going to use it great, use them greatly. God God doesn't usually use the mighty or the powerful or the wise. Uh, if He did, then I would certainly not be a pastor. Okay, I'm not those things very plain, okay? Uh, God doesn't choose to use those who are maybe have the greatest degrees. He chooses to use who is available to him, and, and he chooses to use these four people who really are, would have been outcasts of society. He, choose, he chose, uh, when he was selecting his disciples, fishermen and, and tax collectors, he chose people who were who common, and he chooses people who are common as his vessels through which to, to do great things. So don't ever tell me that God can't use you for missions. God can't use you to accomplish something great. This morning we looked at Jonah. Jonah is probably one of the worst people in the Bible, and yet God used him perhaps more powerfully than any person in the Bible, and the fact that the whole city of Nineveh believed in him, believed in, and not in him, but in, in the message which he brought to Nineveh, and they repented and turned back. God, God uses unlikely groups of people. But then he also gives an unconventional victory. Uh, he works unconventionally. I'm glad that we do not need to figure out how God is going to do what needs to be done. I have stressed myself out more than one time trying to figure out how God should do what I think needs done. That doesn't work, okay? Uh, God just provides, God does things in his own way. Uh, God does things in ways that that we can't imagine. And, And so instead of us trying to understand how God is going to do something, let's just trust that he will do what he says he's going to do. So these guys go up, they desert, they leave, they go to the Syrians, and they come to the camp of the Syrians in verse 5. This is when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, Imagine them coming over the crest of the hill or whatever it is, and they're ready to surrender themselves. You know, I'm here, don't kill me, give me some food. They come there, and there's nobody there. They go a little further, and there's still nobody there. Verse 6, for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, lo, the king of Israel have hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. These are soldiers. These are tough guys. And and what do they hear? They hear a noise that is in their head. Uh, It is not a real noise. And they have these thoughts in their head. Or maybe there was a real noise, and they're the only ones who heard it. And, and, And they freak out, like really freak out, unreasonable type fear, to the point where they can't even wait to get on their horses to run away. They just take off. And if I'm running away from an enemy, I'm getting on a horse. But they are unreasonably afraid. And so they they run for their lives. God <laughs> makes them look foolish. If we were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse 21, we would find that it is the foolishness of preaching which God uses. It doesn't seem like it should work. And sometimes... I get up in my pulpit and I say, why would anybody believe what I'm about to say? Why would anybody believe? And you can, even, you can even sometimes sit back and you can say to yourself, why would anybody believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And yet it's true. I know it's true. And the Holy Spirit knows it's true. And so the Holy Spirit works in a person's mind to convince them of the truth of the gospel. And it isn't because I'm a great preacher. It isn't because I'm charismatic or any of those things. It's because I'm available and God uses his word through my, my mouth in the hearts of people to bring victory through the foolishness of preaching. It's, it's not through anything else. His word proclaimed. And so these, these men flee and they, verse 8 says, they come to the uttermost part of the camp. And they entered into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and they went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. So verse 8 is a very, very interesting verse to me. Okay? First of all, what is it that they really needed? Food, okay, and possibly drink. They needed to eat. That's what, that's what God needed to give to those lepers if they were going to survive. It's all they came for. They needed bread. Uh, yesterday, uh, Donald talked about Jesus being, being the bread. Okay, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. When we come to the Lord, it's because we realize we need bread. It's because we realize we are sinners, and we are condemned because of our sin, and we need life. We need to be saved from eternal judgment, and we need to have eternal life. And so we come looking just for enough to survive. But that's not all that God gives us. God doesn't just give us life. He gives us life more abundantly. And so these guys come and they find, they find this stuff. They, they go and they eat and they drink and silver and gold and raiment and horses and asses and all the other stuff. But what do they do? After they, they go in and they have a big feast, which they should do, they go in. And then they start looking at all these empty tents and they say, wow. There's a lot of stuff here. I like stuff. Let me go into that tent and gather all that stuff, and let's go over that hill over there, and let's dig a ditch, and let's, let's make it deep, and let's just start piling stuff in there, gold and silver and, and, and clothes, or let's go hide some of this stuff over here. And What's going on while they're doing this? People in the city are eating their children. People are starving to death. People need bread. And all they're doing is thinking about themselves and how they can enrich themselves and get more and be well-fed and taken care of. And if we're not very careful, we can get into the same pattern when it comes to the Christian life where we have what we need. We find the joy of salvation, and we find that God has given to us not only what we need to survive, but much more than that in Christ, abundant riches. And we can fall into the thinking that this is all for us to take and to hoard unto ourselves and pile up for a day to come. It doesn't say who they're even hiding it from here. I guess maybe they thought the Syrians would come back, uh, but they're they're just going about their natural tendency to take care of themselves. And verse 9 it says, they said one to another, wait, wait a second, wait a second, we do not well. We're doing the wrong thing. This day is a day of good tidings, or we could say gospel news, and we hold our peace, we're quiet. If we tarry, if we delay till the morning light, there's a sense of urgency placed upon them and understanding that the message that they have is very urgent some mischief will come upon us. In other words, if we don't do this, we're kind of worthy of something happening to us. If the people in the city of Samaria found out that we knew this all along and didn't tell them, it probably won't go so well for us. I I sometimes wonder what it'll be like one day at, at judgment seat for unbelievers and a great white throne. I don't know if we'll be able to see what goes on there. I surely hope not. Because there will probably be people I know who I didn't tell about Jesus. And I'm going to feel really bad about the fact that they're going to spend eternity in a place of torment when I could have told them and they would have had the chance to believe and I didn't. There was an unequal supply. There was was enough there for more than just themselves. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross just for you and me. He died for the sins of the whole world. There's plenty. The blood of Jesus Christ washes me and it is enough to wash every sinner that comes to him. And so, we have a responsibility before us. The Apostle Paul says, Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. If I don't do what God says to do. If I take this treasure and I cover it up, I I take that light and I, I cover it up in a bushel and keep it, to myself. They realized that and so said, we, We've got to go tell somebody. We've got to go tell the king's household. And that's where we get to the third point I want to bring out here. I'll just talk about the proclamation, the preaching, really, of the message of God and, and, and how it happens, what the response to it is, and then a sort of somber reminder at the beginning. I, I am somewhat, I'm not a negative guy, but I, <laughs> there's a lot in the Bible about judgment, folks. And we need to understand that. It's a real thing. God's grace is so wonderful because God's judgment is so real because God hates sin and God takes it very, very seriously. You cannot read through the prophets. You cannot read through the Old Testament and not realize that God takes sin very, very seriously. Do you and I? And if we do, do we take the gospel of grace even more seriously? And are we overjoyed by it? You know, we're not really going to be very excited about grace of God unless we understand how much we need the grace of God. So let's let's look just a little bit at the proclamation here. Uh, Verse 10. Says so they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they came and they told them saying, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied in tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, they are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain which are left in the city. Behold, there is the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, there even as the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. Let's take five starving horses and let's send and investigate. Let's see. And they took, therefore, two chariot horses. And the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels that the Syrians had cast away in their haste. The messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord is always true, it is always kept, he always keeps his promises. And he always does it in time. But what are the responses there? There's three of them. and I want you to go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 because these three responses are the exact same three responses that Paul found in preaching to those at Athens. It is the same responses we have to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we preach it to our neighbors, when we tell others about it. We are going to have... One of these three responses I guarantee it seventeen Acts seventeen verse thirty two through thirty four. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Ha <laughs> you can believe that stuff? Crazy. And others said we'll, we'll hear the again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Three responses to the gospel. Three things are going to happen. One of three things is going to happen when you tell your neighbor, when you tell your coworker, when you tell your schoolmate about Jesus Christ and his gospel. One is they're going to laugh at you. That's a possibility. Let's, let's just admit it. There are people who think you are crazy because you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead they're wrong but they're going to think that of you and you just need to get over that right now okay not everybody is going to believe the gospel shocker right you knew that already okay they're not all going to believe the king why why, why did the king not believe it he, he was very suspicious wasn't he he says no oh, come on we know what this is this is a trap this is a setup Somebody is trying to get something out of us. They are trying to deceive us so that they can get our city even easier. Why would the king think that? Well, I think it's because uh, we have been conditioned to believe that way. We have been conditioned to accept deceit as a possibility. And, And when something sounds too good to be true, it usually is right? Okay, if you get an email from somebody in Nigeria that says that you have now inherited 50 million pounds and all they need is your bank account information, don't give them your bank account information, okay? They're lying to you. They're trying to get something from you. The truth is that one of the reasons the gospel is so hard for the unbelieving world to accept is that it almost seems too good to be true. Hallelujah! The gospel which we believe in is true. It just seems so amazing that it's hard to believe. That's how good God's gift of salvation is to us. That we who are unworthy don't have to do anything for it. That Jesus Christ died for us, though we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, he paid for our sins. And all we need to do is place our faith in him. That sounds too easy, doesn't it? maybe it sounds that way, but in this case, it's the truth. And in this case, in this passage, it was the truth. And then there's the group that's going to say, well, let me think about that. I don't know about that. Maybe I'll listen to you again about that. I'm open to hearing more. What time are your church services on Sunday? Maybe I'll stop by. Or, uh, I'm busy right now. Can, can we talk about this later? That might be a response you get. And praise God for that response. At least they're not mockers, okay? At least they're, they're leaving the door open a little bit. And by the way, every time you're done sharing the gospel with somebody, you want to leave the door open a little bit so that you have another opportunity to share the gospel again. You don't want to be rude and harsh and, and turn them off uh, in the way you talk to, to, talk to people. And uh, praise God when, when somebody actually investigates the claims you have about Jesus Christ and they find evidence that it's real. And by the way, they may not investigate the Bible. They may just investigate you. <laughs> they may just look at your life and see, is there any evidence in their life that uh, God is good? Is it, or are they, are they falling apart just like me? <laughs> or or, or, or is, there, is there any evidence? It, uh, they would have taken those lepers and looked at them and said, do they look like they've eaten a good meal? <laughs> Do you look like you've eaten a good meal of Jesus Christ? Do you look satisfied with Jesus Christ? Are you satisfied with Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally? Have you found that he has riches for you in himself, and are you satisfied with those, or are you looking for something else? But when when they find out that the, the claim of lepers is not only true, but they, the lepers didn't even tell the whole half of it. This is the, the, the horsemen followed them all the way across the river, and all the way along the way, way, there was just more and more stuff that they got left behind. Uh, it was actually better than the lepers could have told them. And then there the third response, and that's the response of the whole city that finds out and has the truth confirmed to them. And this is what I'm waiting for in New York City still. Okay, I'm still waiting for this day. I'm waiting for the day when the whole city goes out and says, yes, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that would be a really great day. Um, happened in Nineveh, so maybe, maybe who knows? Uh, God, God may pour out another great awakening in our world. God may do something great in our city again. I hope so. I hope that God is not, we're not just waiting around for God to bring in the end of the world. I hope we're waiting around for God to do a great work of salvation still. Okay? I really, that's, that's my goal. I'm, I'm praying for that. That's, that's the responses of the hearers. And when they went out, they, 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 they said he was fed. They find that, that, that the Lord's deliverance is enough for them. But then we get that, that somber warning that we need to look at to end the chapter, to end this evening. It says, and the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. Which one is that? Well, we're going to be really careful to make sure you know. And the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now, behold, if the Lord make windows in heaven, might a thing be said, be such thing be. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with an eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. of So it fell out unto him, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. There's like, really no doubt about who this guy was. I mean, they take four or five verses, three or four verses here, just to make sure that we know exactly who it was that gets to see that the message is true but doesn't get to enjoy the truth of it. Who is that? It's the one who mocks the word of God, the one who says, "ha." <laughs> The one who says when when he hears the word of God, that's ridiculous, God can't do that. That's ridiculous, God can't do that. Don't mock the word of God in your heart. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. That which a man soweth, he shall also reap. This is true today if you are here and you've heard the gospel message before and you're not one of those people who are just trying to say, I don't know. I want to find out more. But if you have actually said in your heart, I won't believe it. Maybe you come here today because your parents make you come. Or maybe you come here today because it's your tradition to come where people think a certain thing about you. You come because it's the right thing to do. But really in your heart you don't believe it? It's a dangerous spot to be in. Dangerous spot. Because God may say, okay, you'll find out one, one day, but it'll be too late. It's appointed unto a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Are you ready for that day? And you get to decide tonight if you're going to be a hearer and a believer or just a mocker of God's word. You know, that guy only got one chance. One. God promised something that seemed very unbelievable and was unlikely, other than the fact that God said he was going to do it. And so don't think that you're going to get another chance for sure. God has said... The day of salvation is today. Today. Don't put it off because it's not tomorrow. And you never know anything. Life is uncertain. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. But for us, those of us who do know the gospel, those of us who have seen something, those of us who have experienced the grace of God, which is so good that it's hard to believe. What are we doing if we're not opening our mouth? Don't we share in responsibility with those people? It says in Ezekiel God has set us as a watchman. You know, if we open our mouth and warn the city and they don't listen, that's on them. But if we see the enemy coming and we don't open our mouth, that's on us. I don't want a lot of blood on my hands. I hope you don't either. So let's tell them about the bread that satisfies Jesus Christ, the bread that is sufficient, the bread that is plenteous, the bread that is good and And more than any person could ever exhaust, more than enough for this entire world. Let's pray.